before my sermon, I, I want to encourage you all to do something that I think is extremely important. I think it's something that is necessary, and I hope that you uh, agree, and I hope that it's something that you are willing uh, to do uh, along with me. I'm planning on doing it. Uh, on the back back there, and if we don't have enough of these sheets, I'll, I'll copy, get some more printed up. Um, but I believe that it's imperative that we send a letter to our U.S. Senators, Josh Hawley and Roy Blunt, uh, concerning the Equality Act that has already been passed in the House. And it's going to the Senate. And we need for the Senate to, to stand strong. Uh, and we need to ask Josh Hawley and Roy Blunt not to support this so-called uh, Equality Act. Uh, it has nothing to do with equality. It has everything to do with advancing a perverted behavior. It has everything to do with normalizing unbiblical and deviant behavior. Uh, it's not about protecting rights. It's all about taking away rights. And I encourage you to look this letter over. We have the address of Senator Blunt and Senator Hawley. Uh, take the letter. You will need, and I hope you would be willing to take the effort of looking over this letter, changing it somewhat if you, if you desire, uh, but this is a template that uh, I think would help uh, alert them to the fact that there are people uh, in this state that are uh, opposed to this, equal, um, uh, this, this Equality Act. Uh, basically what it's doing is forcing uh, a false conception concerning gender identification uh, and uh, it's, it's bringing those choices into federal law, bowing to the false uh, concept of gender uh, equality identification uh, narrative. And uh, if you want more information, you can go, go to uh, All for Freedom. There it is. Thank you, Tim. Uh, Allforfreedom.com and do some more research on this uh, Equality Act. Uh, you may not want to send a letter. If you think pastors should be forced to perform homosexual marriages. But I got news for you. This pastor will not perform same-sex marriages. Uh, you may think it's okay for men who identify as women should be allowed to utilize ladies' restrooms. I don't. You should be, you don't have to sign the letter if you think that there should be no distinctions in high school locker rooms and showers. If that appalls you as much as it appalls me, we need to realize that that's where we are right now as a nation. And we need to be praying. You say, Pastor, are you trying to influence legislation? You betcha. You betcha. And I don't apologize for it. Um, as a matter of fact, I think that's part of the problem that we're facing today, is the church has believed a lie that we don't have the right to stand up and defend moral truths. And we do. And we will as a church. 
So uh, I, I know, <laughs> this kind of gets me, I know many pastors, because I've been talking to some, I know many pastors who today and then last week they started trying to explain uh, to their churches the ramifications of this Equality Act to their people and, and explain this dreadful legislation. And, I, and as I look through this and as I, I see all this, I think, man, if I have to explain this to folks, we've already lost. We've already lost. The very fact that, that, that we're here at this point uh, tells me that there needs to be a call to arms. Now, not literally, not literally, but figuratively, there needs to be a call to arms. Neil preached last week a great sermon on all is not lost. And I got news for you, all is not lost by any means. Far from it. But folks, this legislation, it's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call. And if this does not rouse the church from its slumber, I don't know what's going to. That's the bottom line. See, we need to understand, the outcome of this spiritual war has already been determined. We win. We win. But that does not mean there still aren't going to be battles that need to be fought. This battle needs to be fought. Doesn't mean that there's not going to be afflictions to endure because I feel like there are. It's a time for courage, time for us to, to display that courage and basically declare, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As far as me and my house, we're going to stand on God's word. As far as me and my house, we ought to obey God rather than man. And I, as your pastor, make no apologies for that. Let me tell you something. If the combined voices of tens of thousands of churches and millions of believers do not halt this bill, that just tells me that the government is deaf. Deaf. And they need to be replaced. Or the enemy is more entrenched than we ever realized. Matter of fact, let me, let me give you a quote. Keep in mind that the Equality Act has already passed the House. Our president has already said that he will sign it if it gets through the Senate. Do your homework. Look to see what this Equality Act is all about. But as it was being debated in the, in the, in the House chambers, Congressman uh, Greg... Uh, Stuber, Stuby from Florida, uh, actually read from the Bible, did a great job in defending why we shouldn't be considering this type of legislation. Jerry Nadler, his quote, remember him, he's the one that wears his pants up, up on his own, anyway. What any religious tradition describes as God's will is no concern to this Congress. Folks, that's the problem. This means nothing to so many of them. 
Well, we're going to have to show them that it means something to us. And my concern is that it does not mean as much as it needs to mean even to churches in the houses of God throughout this land. And we better start taking a stand for that. So I've been praying about this sermon. About this message. Because this, this issue has been weighing really heavily on my, on my heart this past, past week. And it got me to thinking about Titus. Both the pastor and the book. And I started studying again, and I came to the realization that what we need are more Titus-style pastors. Men who will stand for the truth of God's Word regardless of the consequences, regardless of the cost, that understand their calling, that they are answerable to God. We need more Titus's in the pulpit. Turn with me to Titus. I like this guy. Paul is writing to this young man, and in Titus chapter 2, starting with verse 12, Paul is telling him, and this, I, I'm, I'm sure that Titus took this information, this word, uh, that, that he received from the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul had received this from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And in Titus chapter 2, starting with verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world or in this present age. We shouldn't back away from those truths. We need men of God who don't just read over that, but understand the full impact of what that's saying to believers. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, these things speak and exhort and rebuke and with all authority let no man despise thee. Titus, here's what you're supposed to preach. And I am pretty sure that's exactly what this man of God did. Exhort, rebuke. Verse Chapter 3, verse 1, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to, to every good work, to speak evil of no man, but be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Boy, you've got to, there's a balance there where you stand for the Word of God. But as you stand for the Word of God, you understand you have a job to be meek, to be gentle, to be loving, to be kind, but not to be compromising when it comes to God's Word. Titus was a son in the Lord to the Apostle Paul. So was Timothy. Read over 2 Timothy. 
uh, Paul says pretty much the same thing to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting with verse 2. Here's what he says to young Timothy. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. In other words, be prepared all the time. Be prepared all the time. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Do you know, to, to reprove indicates a judgment. We understand that? If, when God's Word tells us that we are to preach the Word, we're to be prepared to stand up and, and speak out for the Word, but we are to reprove, that indicates that a judgment has, in order to reprove someone, there has to be a judgment. And I know the world is really hip, the world is really quick to say, judge not lest thy be judged. They don't read the second verse that basically just says, well, the same judgment that you judge, you're going to be judged with. Well, as long as what you're, the, the, the judgment you're declaring is from God's word, you are safe. You are safe. In order to rebuke, in order to stand and say, this is a sin. You're not judging that person. You're not condemning that person. You don't have the right to do that. But God does and God will. But we are to rebuke. We are to call sin, sin. We are to make sure people understand what it is. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. It means to, from the Word of God, to bring to conviction, using the Word of God in order for the Holy Spirit to move on someone's heart in order to bring them to conviction. Verse 3, boy, if this doesn't describe some of the times that we're living in, for the time will come, and it's here, folks, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. By the way, on the way down to Austin to see, be with our kids, Faye and I drove past a church. It was kind of a seeker, big, big church. And the sign out front said, no rules, just Jesus. And I got to thinking about that. If that does not if, if this verse doesn't describe a church, no rules, just Jesus. Those people have itching ears. Those people have a doctrine that they desire to be talked to about, but don't tell them what the Bible says concerning God's imperatives. No rules, just Jesus. Own lust shall they heap to themselves, teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Talking to Timothy, encouraging Timothy, and the things that he needs to be doing on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, the things that he needs to be teaching, the things that he needs to be proclaiming. Now, Titus, 
was a pastor to Crete. And we learn about Crete in the first chapter of Titus. The island of Crete, according to God's word, they were liars. Okay, Titus, I want you to go to this island where they're liars. But it wasn't, didn't stop there. They're evil beasts. Lord, thank you for calling me to a church that's not full of evil beasts or idle gluttons. I don't think we've ever had an idle glutton here. But this island where, where Titus was being sent, he was, he was being sent to, to Crete in order to organize the church, to ordain uh, elders, to uh, get that church organized and functioning. And God called Titus to go down there and do that. I imagine Titus was as tough as nails. As a matter of fact, I, th I think the difference between Titus and Timothy was, was this. In 1 Corinthians 16.10, Paul told the church in Corinth, don't y'all scare Timothy. Paul writing to the same church in 2 Corinthians 7.15 says, basically, don't let Titus scare you. So I, I understand Titus to be a man who loved God, who loved God's Word, who believed God's Word, and regardless of the cost, regardless of the circumstances, he was going to stand on God's Word. Folks, we are needing that as much today as was needed back when Titus was sent to Crete. As a matter of fact, it was Titus, it was Titus that Paul chose to take down to Jerusalem. Remember the Jerusalem Council? When there were those Judaizers, there were those who were teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of the grace of God. They were teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And from Jerusalem, they were going up to, uh, to Antioch, and they were telling them, you got to be circumcised in order to be saved. And of all the people up there that, that Paul was going to take to Jerusalem and to that council and say, stop it. Quit sending these people up to Antioch. Quit sending them to the Gentiles. Quit telling them to come up there and preach another gospel. Remember Paul tells the church in, 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 Galatian, in Galatia, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than what we've preached, let them be accursed. Again, I say unto you, repeats that. Well, what was happening is those people in Jerusalem were coming up and they were preaching another gospel. It was the gospel of the kingdom. And circumcision and obeying the law, uh, doing those works were absolutely imperative under the kingdom gospel. And so Paul takes Titus with him down to Jerusalem, uses him as an example, and basically I think he said, you tell this guy he has to be circumcised. It kind of tells you what Titus was like. Again, I think he was tough as nails. 
And it's in Titus, it's in the book of Titus, where this man that was sent to Crete, this man that was used of God to go to Jerusalem and face the apostles, face Peter and James and John. Turn, turn with me to Acts. Just, just cross-reference that so we don't... Turn to Acts 15, and then we're going to go to Galatians 2 real quick. Look at Acts 15. Verse 1, certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so that's when Paul and Barnabas said, hey, we got to go down and we got to straighten them out because that's another gospel that these guys are proclaiming. Look at Galatians 2. This is the same, same situation, same time. Luke was writing concerning historical facts in Acts. Here is Paul writing to the church in Galatia, giving them a rendition of what's going on. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, talking about the 12 apostles, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. That gospel, the gospel of the grace of God, the one that he was given, and he takes Titus with him. That's the kind of man that Titus is. Titus is. And it's in the book of Titus that we, we learn that we have a blessed hope. A glorious appearing. When, when Titus goes down and he faces these people, well, look at Titus 1. Don't take my word for it. Look at Titus 1, verse 10. And this is, this is where God was sending Titus. Titus 1, verse 10. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers especially they of the circumcision, especially the Jews, especially the Jews, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for money's sake. For money's sake. Was this written last week? What it was written for last week it's written for today. One of themselves, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true, Paul says. Hey, what their own prophet said about them, it's true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply. Titus, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Teach them. Correct them. Don't beat around the bush. Don't try to be all tolerant. Don't try to embrace sin to make them like you. Don't try to pacify them by not telling them the truth. 
Because that's really not love, folks. You know that? It's not love. When you know something to be true, you don't speak up. You don't declare it. It's not love. True love speaks the truth. But you speak it in love, but you speak the truth. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth unto the and to the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. Folks, we're there as a nation. We better understand there is an evil in this land, and it's not just a recent evil. Let me tell you, this is something that's been coming on for decades. For decades. And the church has sat by idly and sang in our congregations, and been excited about what Jesus has done for us and the fact that we are going to heaven, and all of that is wonderful, all of that is grand. But there's a world going to hell. And the church's influence has been pretty much pigeonholed it's been quietened, quietened because the church has been told, hey, if you try to legislate morality, I mean, no, I mean, if you try to influence legislation, why, you're going to have your tax exemption taken away. I hope that's not the reason we stand and preach or hold services. Uh, by the way, for St. Louis Bible Fellowship, just so you know, they can't take something they've never given us. We understand that, right? St. Louis Bible Fellowship has never gone to the IRS and said, would you please give us permission to be a church? It's never going to happen. I don't recommend. Churches are nonprofit by virtue of being a church. You don't have to jump through the hoops of the Internal Revenue Service in order to be a nonprofit. But, whoa, if you start trying to uh, influence legislation, you can have your nonprofit status jerked. Well, if we had it, they can have it. I hope that's not, I hope you don't give for the work of God because you're going to get a tax deduction. If you give because you want that tax deduction and that's the only reason you give, may I encourage you to keep your money? or give it to the pound, or do something else with it. Because you're giving it for the wrong reason. If you're giving because you want to see the gospel preached and proclaimed, if you want to see people one to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you want to see God's holy word preached and declared, then this is the place to give it. You give it because you want to see God's work go forth. But not because... You want a tax deduction. Because I honestly, honestly believe that's going to be withdrawn from all, all churches. Especially those that do not support this Equality Act. I think that's coming. 
But anyway, here it's in Titus that we understand that we have that blessed hope. Look at Titus chapter, uh, chapter two. Back to verse thirteen. We read it just a second ago. It's Titus who was sent down to Crete, and I guarantee you, as he was dealing with these evil beasts and these these idle gluttons and these liars, it just probably gladdened his heart, just as it should gladden all of our hearts today, is that Christ is coming. Our Lord and Savior is going to return for His church, the party of Christ, and we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. How that must have gladdened Titus's heart as the Apostle Paul shared that truth with him. And that just drives us on, and it causes us to desire to be faithful. It causes us to desire to want to serve the Lord. But it's also in the book of Titus that we find another important theme, another extremely important theme. And when I was first studying, uh, studying and preparing this, it was this verse that actually caused me to title the sermon, uh, seeing it first, seeing it again. What was the title? Anyway, you, yeah, you got it in the bulletin. Uh, looking, seeing it again for the very first time, yeah. It was this verse. Titus verse, chapter 3, verse 5. Titus 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which He shed on us abundantly, that through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's in Titus, and, and Timothy goes along with the same thing. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should be saved. Right? That Timothy had that same idea. But Titus, Titus, not by works, of righteousness which we have done seeing it again for the very first time works of righteousness it's, in order to be saved there are absolutely no works of righteousness that we can perform and do that will save us that will keep us safe that will pacify God that'll make him happy with our service that'll make him any happier with us or love us more than he already loves us by virtue of us being in Christ at that, that position that's that's a key doctrinal truth that we need to embrace not by works of righteousness and there were a lot of works of righteousness at that time. Now, when we read that today, we think of, of works of righteousness. We equate that to, to witnessing, and we equate that with, with worship and church attendance. Why, a work, of, a work of righteousness is showing up here at, at 1030 on Sunday morning, and that's a work of righteousness. Well, let me remind you what the works of righteousness were during this time. Because there was a major change from what God's re requirements were for the nation of Israel 
and the church, the body of Christ, which Titus was part of. And the glorious truth, the glorious message that could be declared not by works of righteousness. Those works of righteousness had to do with repentance. Those works of righteousness had to do with with the, uh, the Jewish rite of water baptism in preparing them to be that nation of priests. Those works of righteousness had everything to do with keeping the Jewish law. Not by works of righteousness. Paul is trying to make sure that Titus understands as he preaches to that, those people on the Isle of Crete that he tells those Gentiles, those Gentiles who were lost, who were without hope, who were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, who had no hope in the world. In order for, for them to have hope, they would need to be, become a proselyte, be proselyzed and, and be part of, of Israel to become Jewish. And there were certain requirements One of those requirements was circumcision. Not to get crude. But can you imagine how tough? You think it's hard to witness now? By witnessing to somebody and say, oh, by the way, you're going to have to be circumcised. Thanks, but no thanks. So the message of this dispensation of grace is not by works of righteousness that we've done. Oh, that's glory. But see, here's what we need to understand. Under under the law, there were certain works of righteousness. In in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, Christ talking to the church there in in Ephesus, he he talks about... uh, uh, you, you need to go back and do the first works. In Luke 3.3, 3, those first works are identified with water baptism and repentance for the nation of Israel. That, those were the first works. But those works aren't going to get you saved. You're saved today by God's grace through believing that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. And the moment you believe that Christ did those things on your behalf. And by faith you accept that free gift that God offers by grace to all men. The Holy Spirit places you into the body of Christ. And as you are baptized into the body of Christ, as you are spiritually baptized into the body of Christ and sealed into the day of redemption, the glorious truth of the gospel that we proclaim tells us that we are baptized in him we identify with his baptism we identify with his circumcision we identify with his death we identify with his burial we identify with his resurrection because of of our identification with christ we stand perfect before a holy righteous god but it's the the circumcision thing was important it was mandatory as a matter of fact, uh, the institution of, of, of circumcision uh, was an identification in itself. And it was absolutely imperative for Jewish men to be circumcised. And if they weren't, they, they, weren't, they would not be part of the nation. The truth of that 
is it God's plan with the nation of Israel was to be such a blessing, to be such a wonderment on their behalf as they shared with such a wicked world who the true God of heaven is. As all the other nations saw how the Jehovah blessed them and used them for His glory as they were a witness of who the high God of heaven is, that circumcision would be worth it. That that would be nothing compared to all that God had in plan, planned and, and prepared for that nation. The act of circumcision that was started with Abraham was all about taking something that was no longer useful, that in all practical purposes was dead and useless. And God's saying, have faith in me because you're going to have a child. You trust me. And I guarantee you, you're going to have a child. That's what that ritual represents, is God taking that which was basically lifeless and God fulfilling His promise through Abraham. That's what circumcision represents. But now as Paul tells, <laughs> as, as through the Pauline epistles, we understand that, that circumcision avails nothing. It avails nothing today. So here was Titus sent down to those Cretans, sent down to those people in order to share with them the most glorious, the most life-changing story ever. That God loves you. He desires you to know Him. He desires to have a relationship with you. So be brave. Rebuke those that need rebuking. Stand for the truth of God's, of God's holy word. All the way through, we see Titus being that man. It's in the book of Titus that we find that uh, it's not by works of righteousness that we've done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. But we also find in Titus, in verse 14 of chapter 2, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. I'm not saying that you don't work for God. Matter of fact, work for God. We're called to work. We're created under good works. But those good works aren't going to save you. Don't think i got to do a good work in order to please God and make him happy because that's not going to get it done. Zealous of good works. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. But put them to mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. You're saved. You're a child of God. You're redeemed. You've been bought with a price. You're a new creation. Be ready to every good work. That means taking a stand when the world just seems to be dead set on being as evil and following the God of this world as they can 
we need to be prepared to take a stand and do every good work. Chapter 3, look at verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will, that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. But those of you who believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. See, that's what God expects of those who have been washed in the blood, those who have had their lives absolutely transformed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need more Tituses today. We need men who are courageous, men who love God more than their very lives, Men who are willing to take a stand for truth, even if that truth is not popular. Even if that truth is not in the majority. Do I, do I need to remind you that the majority is not always right? Majority is not always right. But God is. God is. So it's by faith we live for him. It's by faith that we desire to take a stand for him. Over the past couple of weeks, I've been introduced to several churches. Uh, just watching them on video and their, their music and, and listening to some of their pastors and, and, and all. And I understand there are a lot of preachers, and I, I'm sure all preachers, they all want to be loved. They all want to be admired. They all want to be appreciated. But I've just seen over the last several weeks, there are just far too many preachers that in order to accomplish that, compromise. Compromise. And I've come to the conclusion that I do not have to please anyone but God. He is the only one that I am going to stand before one day and give an answer. I mean, I understand if I don't vacuum the carpet the way Faye wants me to, yeah, I'll have to answer for that. But that's, that's, that's a whole other issue. And I understand that I have godly elders here that I'm accountable to, and I have to answer to certain things. First of all, I'm glad I have the elders here that we have. And I guarantee you, what they hold me accountable for is to make sure I take a stand for this. And I appreciate that. But even if they didn't, even if I were in one of those other churches, and I'm not going to compromise God's word. I am not going to call good evil and evil good. I am not going to do it. And folks, that is what the church is being asked to do today. Well, St. Louis Bible Fellowship is not going to do that. We are not going to do that. We may stay a small congregation. We may stay small. Our numbers may remain small. But I'm going to tell you this. 
we're going to preach God's word and stand on God's word. If it's just me, Derek, and Diana, we're the only ones here, right? We're going to preach the truth of what God's word says. And Dale, because Dale brings them. Thank you, Dale. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Father, I come just admitting my heart aches. Father, just so troubled. Father, I admit it's not fear. It's not anxiety even. Father, it's just distress. Distressed over what my children and my grandchildren are going to face in the future. Father, troubled over what is possibly coming. Father, not out of fear, though I fear the consequences, but Father, I fear that the church is going to lay down, roll over, submit. Father, may that not be so. Father, may we stand boldly and proclaim the truth of your word. Father, we come acknowledging that the world is on a highway to hell. Father, that grieves us. And we know the only thing that's going to change that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news of his grace and his mercy that is extended to all that will believe. Father, may we be faithfully procuring... Proclaiming that truth. Help us to do it with boldness, with courage, with determination. Father, we love you this morning and we thank you for Calvary. We thank you that the tomb is empty and regardless of what's going to face us in the short term, we know what's coming in the long term. We know that heaven is our home. We know that eternal life is ours. Father, we know that eternity we spend with you. We praise you for that. It will be worth it all. Father, we come acknowledging that. Now, Father, I pray this morning, if there's someone here who's never by faith trusted in you, Father, they understand they're a sinner but they've never by faith believed that Christ died for their sin, was buried and rose again. They've never believed the gospel. Father, at this very moment, may this be the time that by faith they believe. By faith, may they accept that gift of salvation, that gift of eternal life that's only through the Lord Jesus Christ and become that new creation. We pray these things in Christ's holy and precious name. In the name that every knee is going to bow to, every tongue is going to confess to. In that name we pray. Amen.